I'm Maya Chupkov, and I'm a woman who stutters. Welcome to Proud Stutter, a show about stuttering and embracing verbal diversity in an effort to change how we talk about it, one conversation at a time. Welcome to season two of Proud Stutter. I'm your host, Maya Chufkov, a proud woman who stutters. We are doing things a little differently this time around. I got such positive feedback from having an ally as a co-host, Cynthia Chin from season one, that I decided to keep the pattern going for season two. So how will this look? So all of our guests will be people who stutter, And then for every episode, I will be joined by a different co-host who doesn't stutter. It's a way to build allyship and community with people working on different issues and in different spaces because we are stronger together. Of course, you can follow the season along on Twitter at Proud Stutter and Instagram at Proud Stutter and become a supporter of the show through ko-fi.com slash Proud Stutter. It's the equivalent of Patreon, but just takes less of a percentage. All your help on Ko-Fi is incredibly appreciated as we are 100% listener funded. Supporters of Proud Stutter on Ko-Fi get Proud Stutter merch, a featured interview in our newsletter, and more. Thank you to our Proud Stutter supporters, Madeline Carr, Lucy Reed, and Dustin Wells, and all the other ones I mentioned in previous episodes. If you want to hear your name on the pod, all you have to do is sign up to become a Ko-Fi supporter. Like season one, these interviews were recorded remotely, usually in somebody's home. So you might hear some sounds and signs of life, like a siren blaring or a dog walking through the room, usually my dog walking through the room. Thank you for your patience with that. All right, so let's get to the interview with our first guest and co-host for season two. Welcome to the debut episode of season two of Proud Stutter. Today, I am joined by Dana Amahir, our guest co-host. Dana is executive director of Afro LA, a community-focused news outlet centering the Black experience in and around greater Los Angeles. Our guest for today's episode is Cameron Rains, a person who stutters and a lecturer at the University of South Australia. Welcome to the show, Dana and Cameron. So excited for you guys to be our first guests. So Cameron, can you tell us a moment where your relationship with your stutter shifted? Yeah, look, I can. Um, it's, um, look, I, I was a covert stutterer most of my life. It's, and still am to some extent, although I, don't use, I hardly use any covert techniques anymore. Uh, and I rarely stutter these days. I got to a very low point around about 2007, 2008. Uh, I was working. I was working in an open plan office, and I had spent years and years avoiding situations like that and controlling the the t- type of work I did, the situations I got into. And I was at a I was working as a writer and editor for a communications consultancy, ironically enough, in the Adelaide Hills. And I was traveling about an hour and a half each way on on train and bus to get there. And I was almost at the point where I was going to have to throw my job in because, as I say, open plan office, worst thing for someone with a stutter, especially having to speak to clients on the phone. 
And it was a small office. There was no escape. There were five or six of us at various times. And my stutter was came back worse than it had ever been, worse even than high school. And uh, I had a young family, um, a, a, a daughter and a son aged eight and ten. Uh, my wife was a school teacher. So I, um, I was at the bus stop and it was the end of a hard day. And I asked myself a question. The question was, what's your definition of a good day? And as soon as I asked myself that question, I knew it was important because my definition of a good day was one where I did not stutter, especially in front of a stranger. And that sank in and I realized how terrible it was that I was 44, 45, something, something around there. And the best I could come up with for a definition of a good day was defining it by a negative. So I sat there for a while and thought, well, this is completely screwed up. What the hell do I do to get myself out of this mess? And the answer came almost immediately. I thought, well, what if I, from now on, a good day is one where I do stutter, especially in front of a stranger. And I was scared. I, I, I immediately thought, wow, there's something in that. But if I do that, I'm going to have to go up and stutter in front of them. So it was very uh, unsettling, very scary. And then a few days later, I went up to at the same bus stop, knowing full well which bus I needed to catch. And I, I went up to a stranger and asked them, what, what bus do I need to catch to get back to the city? And there was such a profound feeling of well, wellness, well-being, strength. I had goosebumps. Uh, it was a, it was just a, an amazing feeling. I didn't stutter, of course, because finally I was volunteering. I was taking charge of my stutter. I remember feeling so good about that and walking away and giving myself a little pat on, very subtly, just giving myself a little pat on the back. Uh, because I knew it was important. No, I can do. I can do things differently. I can. I can turn to face this thing, and uh, let's see what happens if I do that. That's really awesome that you um, that you took that experience and you turned it into something transformative. You presented um, at workshops on writing and stuttering. What has it been like for you to become a public speaker as someone um, with a stutter? Yeah. Well, look. After I had that, that epiphany about talking to strangers, I tried to do it on a daily basis and just try to do it once or twice at the most each day because it was quite tiring to to psych myself up and to put myself in that situation. But I had so many good experiences doing it that it just started slowly to, to become a routine. Around about the same time I had my first book published, it was a history of the Aborigines Department in South Australia. And I got invited to speak on national radio several times. And my speech wasn't too bad, but there were quite a few hesitations and blocks and repetitions. And um, I knew I wanted to keep on writing and I knew that this, if I embraced this, there'd be more of these kind of opportunities. So I found a public speaking group called Rostrum. I think in America, you mainly have Toastmasters. Very nerve-wracking at the beginning, especially for those early speeches. But I knew that this was uh, good for me as a person and good for me as a speaker. Around about 2012, 2013, I went in for my first competition. Then I was um, asked to consider becoming a public speaking coach, which frightened the hell out of me. But I, I said, yes, okay. Because I'd got to the point where I was just going to say yes to anything to do 
with speaking. That was the attitude I took. If there's something about speaking, if you're given an opportunity, you put your hand up and say yes. So I said yes, got trained in coaching public speaking for Rostrum uh, and started coaching. And uh, look, at this point, um, I love nothing more than getting on the stage. I, I feel uh, empowered and I feel excitement. There's no, it's weird. It's just the weirdest thing because I, I had all those experiences of being in, being made to stand in front of a classroom of kids and just feel like I was the ugliest person in the world. And it just ripped the guts out of me. It was just a horrible, horrible experience. And I, I, was, um, I was damaged by it considerably. So to go from that to now where uh, if you see me three minutes before I have to give a speech somewhere, I'm just excited and delighted, absolutely nerveless. Uh, and it's just bizarre. That is amazing to go from, you know, just being something that is just nerve wracking and debilitating to something that truly gives you excitement and joy. And it's interesting to me that, you know, public speaking, of course, is something that's, you know, so extroverted and outwardly communicative. But you're also um, such a a wonderful writer, which, of course, it's a nonverbal form of communication. But it seems that you've also used that to harness as a way to talk about stuttering and to um, deal with stuttering in some ways. The protagonist of your book, First Person Shooter, is a a teen with a stutter. Can you talk a little bit about how you've used your writing or how writing has impacted how you you process um, your stutter? There's so many interesting things to be said about the connections between stuttering and writing. There's been quite a few writers over uh, throughout history that have stuttered. And for most people who stutter, we, we don't get to figure out um, our thoughts, our, our ideas. Uh, well, we do. We, we, we figure out our thoughts by ourselves at home. But in the cut and thrust and parry of conversation, we don't really get to refine our ideas and put them out into the spotlight and have people interact with them because we we tend not to talk we tend to look I went for 20 or 30 years with with never telling a joke because that's the worst thing you can do as a person who stutters and very rarely telling stories because again that's that's a pretty bad thing for a person who stutters because the story has to make sense it has to hold together there has to be an ending and and timing is not as important as joke telling, but timing is still a, an issue. For me, uh, writing was always a way of trying to get some clarity about my thoughts and about how I felt about the world and about my place in it. So I was always, from a young age, writing a lot. Um, and I've always loved stories and storytelling because story, uh, reading was one of probably my main escape because I, I wasn't a very sporty kid. I like playing sports and I like being outside, but I wasn't particularly good at any any sport. So so um, so reading was really my escape. Reading was also my escape. Reading just was always my safe space where I could just escape from reality and just be with the characters. And it's therapeutic. Like when I get stressed, I just read and I feel better. And I've noticed that in a lot of the books I read, when they're describing someone who's nervous they use the word stutter or stammer and so I I find that kind of interesting because like for me just because I stutter doesn't necessarily mean I'm nervous like 
sometimes I, I stutter even when I'm literally the most calm. And so I think writers like you, you're just paving the way. And it's one thing to, to write a book about stuttering. It's another to have that just be like a side thing that's not the center, but like having a character that stutters and it's not a big deal, just normalizing it. Yeah, that uh, that uh, film from a couple of years ago with Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio, set in Hollywood in in the nineteen sixties or seventies. That was kind of interesting because that character played by Leonardo had a stutter, but it it just w wasn't really a part of the story. It was refreshing to see that. Speaking of, of film and um, you know, kind of pulling on that thread of you know, writing and um, sort of the arts, um, but you're also involved in uh, trying to create some, uh, an arts-based program for um, some young people in Adelaide. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so for a couple of years, I've been, since about 2018, I've been giving a talk for speech pathology students at Flinders University. And through that, I, um, one, of the, one of the speech and language pathologists, Julia, and I struck up a friendship uh, because we realized we had very similar in, um, insights and attitudes towards stuttering and perhaps what you can do in order to find a way through it. So we started talking about developing a, an arts-based program. And then uh, Say Australia was uh, set up. Last year, I um, ran, I developed and ran, ran a workshop for young people who stutter uh, to write about their stutter. And I, look, I have to acknowledge Catherine Preston, uh, who uh, the author of Out With It, who works with Say New York and has developed a writing program for Say New York. She was very, very kind in giving me all of the materials that she she uh, she 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 had developed for, for that program. And uh, we're having a workshop here in Adelaide in September that's going to arts-based experience for young people who stutter. Not only the connections between writing and stuttering, but acting and stuttering. And I've come across some uh, an academic um, article very recently that uh, used uh, brain imaging technology with actors uh, to look at parts of their brains that light up and don't light up when they're delivering lines. One of the takeaways from this research was that there seems to be a diminution of self when, a, when, a, an, an, a, when an actor acts. So the, the, the part of the brain that, you know, is really absorbed in the self and self-consciousness and how do I look to people and all that sort of stuff, which you might think might be heightened in the acting experience actually decreases in in activity and that's really interesting in terms of stuttering because stuttering is all a, such a big part of it is about self-consciousness how, how 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 do how do people perceive me what what do i look like can they bear to look at me when i'm stuttering uh, is is my is my face contorting all that sort of stuff so there's some really interesting stuff around the the whole therapy based uh, art therapy based approach, I think. That's really fascinating in the sense that, you know, it's not just giving someone like an outlet to really like, you know, 
to to manage what and come to terms with you know how they deal with their stutter but also to like deal with their their sense of self as to how they see themselves um with their stutter through through the arts whether that's writing or acting um i I find that really really interesting yeah look it's fascinating Uh, there's there's a a lot of actors from bruce willis to emily blunt uh stutter and almost all of them have said that acting was a crucial part in finding a way through this uh, journey of, of stuttering. So, so you've, got, you've got that thing where, where people who act um, tend to um, find a way to deal with their stutter. You've also got, um, it's quite common that a person who stutters who adopts an accent uh, finds that there's a fluency shift. So, you know, I've heard I've heard stories from people who say, look, I I, um, I worked in a barber's shop and uh, I, I faked a French accent and I was fluent. I was fluent 95% of the time when I was faking this French accent. So there's some really interesting stuff around um, identity uh, and stuttering and authenticity. And this is, and it, yeah, I th- authenticity is is one of the keys i think it's one of the fundamental things that's going on uh when you stutter and i think it's one of the fundamental pathways to explore stuttering find find your voice yeah when i speak in an accent i don't stutter so there were times in my life like when i was studying abroad um, and I just didn't want to deal with stuttering. I just, <laughs> I just have a, a British accent for, for like a night just so I can like get through the night and not have to worry about stuttering. <laughs> um, um, can we hear your, your British accent? <laughs> oh God. Oh my God. I'm so nervous. It's so, it's not good. Um, but when I'm a little tipsy, it's better. Okay, so this is a phrase I remember from the Great British Baking Show, which is one of my favorite shows. Oh, the terror of a soggy bottom has been keeping me up all night. If my bottom is dry today, all will be well. I know that's like that's very cliche, so I'm sorry about that. Is it? No, that's <laughs> but you're you're Australian, so it's not. It's not like yeah. So I I don't even want to show you my Australian <laughs> oh, that's accent. Okay. That's, that's even right. harder. That's even harder to do than an English accent. <laughs> I know you don't want to throw some shrimps on the barbie. Yeah, that that was pretty bad. That was pretty bad. Well, look, I I'm, I'm not very good with accents, so no, it's okay. You can tell me it's terrible. It's it's okay. <laughs> no, when I um uh, when I go home to uh to Florida, which you know is the South, but not the South, I kind of fall into you know more of the y'all, the drawl, the whatever. And it makes me feel, you know, the sense of, I don't know, being more my authentic self, my, you know, more being my home self. But then I feel like I have to like switch back. It's this weird, I, you know, kind of like code switching back and forth. I feel like I have to do that in so many parts of my life, um, especially as a black woman, you know, for professionalism's sake or for to be taken seriously or to whatever. As you're, you know, learning to, you know, work with your stutter, is there any sort of mindset you have to turn it off and you can't, you know, just be yourself? Yeah, look, certainly there, there were in my my 20s and 30s. My 20s and 30s were, and early 40s even, were dogged by the idea that uh, I had to present 
myself as fluent in as many situations as possible. I was always at pains to to not to not stutter. Um, I felt like if I stuttered, people would think that I wasn't smart, or they would think that I was um, nervous or cowardly or uh, something else. So it was a yeah, it was uh, it was a constant refrain in my life that uh, that I had to manage my fluency in just about every situation I was in. Mm. Yeah, I can definitely re- relate to that. I don't personally have a stutter, but I do have a disability, but it feels like, you know, sort of sometimes that being tamped down for other people's comfort and for other people to, you know, feel like they don't have to deal with it because they're more the mainstream. I'm, I'm, I know that's that's something that's happened throughout history where, you know, people's languages and, and their identities have been lost. Do you feel like you've ever been or you feel like in the stuttering community, people are pressured to conform to what is quote unquote normal? Or is there an increased push to like normalize the fact that you can just be yourself? There's a concept of internalized racism. I, I don't know how much currency that idea has, but um, I think something similar happens with people who stutter. We we get very down on ourselves. We we internalize our condition, and we can all too easily come to a point of view that our voice isn't worthy of being heard. Uh, so that can certainly happen. There's something that really stuck out to me as you were you were talking. Stuttering is a very cruel condition like many other things. And I think one of the things that's so difficult to deal with, but also manageable is the fact that it's it's an unseen thing. It's something that you have to, that people can't outwardly see at first. It manifests after you open your mouth. It's like the disability that I have, you can't outwardly see it until I start to try and do something, until I try and put forth the effort to do something. It makes you, it comes back to that, you know, power and, and control. So it makes you feel more powerless because it's like, okay, if I put forth the effort, then, you know, I'm going to be, I could be judged for that. Uh, if I forth the thing that I, I do the thing that I know I can do and I can do it well, even though it's not the thing I really want to do, it's, it's passable, but it's limiting because it's not really what I want, but it's the thing that is acceptable to everybody else. And it, I, I know what I want. I know what I can do, but I don't want to be judged or blamed or made to feel ridiculed for trying to do it. I can so relate to that. So. Yeah, hiding anything that is so, such a fundamental part of who you are is, is corrosive. It, it corrodes your sense of self. It corrodes your sense of authenticity. Hiding who you are is always a big mistake. Yeah, it makes you hide who you are, but it also makes you blame who you are. It's like you blame the body that you have and you blame the aspects of yourself that, you know, it's like, well, why am I broken? And, you know, this is something that you just have to learn to live with. It's like, you know, I can manage it. I can't cure it, but I, I have to, you know, why do I have to overcome this? And other people don't. It's like, why do I get to be, you know, the the broken toy? Wow. Um, I can totally relate to everything you just said, Dana. I always, growing up, found my voice to be broken in some way and it's taken me a long time to overcome that feeling about myself and I was always just asking why me like why am I the one with the broken voice like why why is this something that's happening to me 
I think a lot of our listeners can relate to that. To close, um, my last question is for you, Dana. So around Afro LA, what has been the most surprising thing that's come up for you after launching Afro LA? Something that has surprised me is the overwhelming response to Afro LA. Um, But one of the basis of me creating that and the basis of the coverage is trying to cover parts of the community and people that are marginalized, people that we don't consider, you know, quote unquote, normal people who have disabilities, people who have communication disorders, like, you know, stuttering, people who don't fit in the box that we try and put people into in society, specifically looking at the black community, but I'm trying to widen the lens on who we consider fitting into that community at all. There's a lot of intersectionality with that, that we don't consider. And it feels like, you know, it's about time to try and normalize who we consider as being a part of the conversation. And the response to that has pleasantly been people are open-minded, more open-minded than you would think considering what's been going on in the world. Thank you so much, Dana. That was a great way to end the episode. And Cameron, thanks so much for being the first guest of season two. And we'll see you guys again in two weeks. And that's it for this episode of Proud Stutter. This episode of Proud Stutter was produced and edited by me, Maya Chupkov. Our music was composed by Augusto Denise and our artwork by Mara Ezekiel and Noah Chupkov. If you have an idea or want to be part of a future episode, visit us at www.proudstutter.com. And if you like the show, you can leave us a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. Want to leave us a voicemail? Check out our show notes for the, the number to call in. More importantly, tell your friends to listen too. Until we meet again, thanks for listening. Be proud and be you.